Hi everyone, I'm Katie Dawson and welcome to Super Creative, a podcast that delivers candid conversations with inspiring women who are thriving in business. Hello everybody and welcome back to Super Creative for 2024. I am back for those who are new to the podcast. My name is Katie, which I said in the intro. First of all, I just wanted to say Happy New Year, although it's probably really too late to be saying that now. I hope you have all had a wonderful summer, whatever that's looked like. I had, um, as I shared on my Instagram stories last week, I was fortunate enough to go to Canada to visit my husband's sisters and their family. And we had a wonderful holiday. We got to go skiing, which was just magical. It ended in a bit of drama with my husband uh, breaking his tibia, an open fracture, which resulted in a little bit of surgery, a visit to some of the Canadian hospital system, me flying back home to New Zealand with our two girls by myself while my husband waited until he could get clearance to fly, which was about a week and a half, nearly two weeks after I got home. Anyway, it was very dramatic, it sounds very dramatic, but it all ended okay and he is now at home with me in Mount Monganui recovering and working from the couch and you know from the table and with his leg propped up so anyway that's a little bit of personal information about me I am excited to bring Super Creative back to you this year like with most years I've got big plans for Super Creative most of the years I don't manage to achieve all these big plans but this year I have already got some really really wonderful guests lined up so even if my big plans don't eventuate what I can assure you is that I am committed to bringing you these wonderful stories from incredible women that blow my mind everyone I talk to I just get so inspired by so I'm committed to continue to bring you those stories even if it just is by hook or by crook and I just you know get an episode out when I can but I would like to I'd like to make it a little bit more regular this year so anyway I've got three episodes that I'm going to release over the next couple of weeks they were recorded in late 2023 but we ran out of time to get them live before Christmas so you are going to enjoy them in early 2024 instead I know you will enjoy them and I can't wait to bring you wonderful stories throughout the year So I will get cracking and start the intro for this episode. Today on the podcast, I speak to Christy McGregor, publisher and editor-in-chief of Shepherdess. From the woman for the land, Shepherdess is here to connect, empower and inspire women across rural Aotearoa. An organisation passionate about creating vibrant rural communities through storytelling and events. Starting life as a blog and then launching as an independent printed publication in August 2020, Shepherdess was started around Christie's kitchen table on a dairy and beef farm in the Horofenua. Shepherdess believes that telling stories is a great way to reduce social and geographical isolation, stimulate ideas and foster connections. And over the past few years, Christy and the Shepherdess team have expanded their offering, which now includes a TV series, an online social club, and as of next week, the inaugural Shepherdess Muster will take place in Motu, Te Tairawhiti. The Muster is a three-day rural festival and retreat gathering women from across rural Aotearoa. 
Christy's story in The Shepherdess Journey is a wonderful example of prioritising the needs of the community it serves, resulting in a thriving organisation. And if you haven't picked up a printed Shepherdess magazine before now, no matter where you live, you will fall in love with this beautiful publication. Every aspect of this magazine is thoughtfully curated, from the inspiring storytelling to the incredible photography and everything in between. We had a few technical difficulties with this episode, recorded over three sessions. I've stitched together this wonderful story, but please bear with me if you hear any glitchy edits. After this episode, visit shepherdess.co.nz to learn more, and of course you can connect on Instagram at shepherdess.nz. Okay, grab a cuppa, head out for a walk, or however you listen. Hey, you might even be on the way to the Shepherdess Muster and want to listen and learn a little bit more about the origins of Shepherdess magazine. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my Korero with Christy. I know you will love it as much as I did. And of course, I'd like to take a quick second to say thank you so much for listening to Super Creative. Whether you're a long-time listener or new to the podcast, I appreciate you so, so much. I'd love it if you would consider taking a moment to leave a review and give a rating on your preferred platform. And also, if you particularly resonate with an episode and you feel like sharing on Instagram, you will really make my day. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hi, Christy, and welcome to my podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm going to start off by asking you to describe who you are and what you do. My name is Christy McGregor, and I lead Shepherdess, which is an organisation passionate about creating vibrant rural communities through storytelling and events. When we first were connected, I think I mentioned to you that I was not very rural. And you were like, no, no, it's not just necessarily about rural. It's just reaching women across New Zealand, really, isn't it? But I think the, there's quite a strong rural focus and particularly the publication and the website. So as a c- consumer, I hadn't really picked up the magazine myself until last week. And boy, did I fall in love with that magazine. I read it cover to cover. It's like my perfect kind of magazine. And I really felt that if I was a woman living in a rural community, how much I would love having that connection even more. I just loved the real stories. I loved the real connection. Such a human element Plus, it's beautiful. And that's actually one thing I noticed right from when I've I've been following you on social for a while and I've looked at your website. Photography and beautiful design has really been at the forefront from seemingly the beginning. So, yeah, so it's a really interesting one for me because whilst I'm not probably the direct target consumer, I am really interested just in the business you've created. But also, you're in a really interesting Media and publishing is an interesting <laughs> landscape to be in, as I'm sure you will you will talk about. So independent publishing in itself is it's a big task. So yeah, all of that sort of leads to why I was really interested to talk to you and, and talk about your story. And I'm really interested to hear all about Shepherdess and, and everything about it. So as you know with this podcast, before we get into all that, I like to go back. I like to get a bit of background. Where are you from? Did you study? First jobs, all of that sort of stuff. So give us a little bit of background about your life before before Shepherdess. 
Yeah, so I'm Australian and I grew up on a quarter acre block in Camden, which is a was a was a dairy farming area back in the day and rural outside of Sydney, but is quickly getting swallowed up by Sydney's sprawl. And grew up, yeah, went to local high school and the minute I could I wanted to get out of there and I wanted to go west. So I was 17 when I moved to university down in Wagga Wagga which uh, is halfway between Sydney and Melbourne. You might be familiar with it. I know the name, definitely. (laughs) It's a rural town. It's, I guess, at the time when most people are like coming from the bush to city to, it was something I just really wanted to get out of there. And there was this pull to go to more rural area. And I think part of that was coming from like growing up, the experience I'd had. My dad was an agricultural teacher and we'd grown up going to his friends farms out in the central best we'd grown up going down to very close family friends dairy farm at Jamboree so we've had these experiences and I remember as a child being seeing like when we went to parks and how you they Ken and Sue would go to the butcher and they put the on their tab and it's just this sort of the way that rural communities work there's this trust there's this familiarity friendliness and yeah being really intrigued by that and thinking how cool that was yeah I went to Wagga and I started studying social work actually and I got a year into my degree and each uni holidays I was going further west and I went to outback South Australia and went on the longest mail run in the world and went and spent time on on a station and yeah just whatever experiences I could have further west and then at the end of the year I decided that I was going to go to the territory and I went to the Northern Territory and worked on a cattle station nannying for the managers with their two their baby and their two-year-old and whilst I was there I decided that I didn't want to go back to uni (laughs) I was going to stay out there I was enjoying it too much and really interesting like community dynamics and yeah so yeah I made the call to mum and dad of that yeah I was I was going (laughs) to I was going to stay out there and not go back to uni, which I don't know if that went down all that well. But I did keep studying by a distance and I ended up then getting a job as a governess on a cattle station in far western Queensland, which... It sounds like a novel, you know, when you just read these novels, like the governess on a sweeping station and yeah, okay, keep going. (laughs) So... Yeah, that was on a station that was 2.2 million acres and we were... 220 k's from the nearest town of 30 people on a good day, as the publican described it, of Aramanga, which is the furthest town in Australia from the sea. And to get to and you chose to go there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it was quite funny. People in the territory like, "What are you doing going down there?" It's they just see it as nothing country. But Mm. as I've learnt in life, everything where there's perceived to be nothing is where there's opportunity. So. Yeah, so I ended up down there governessing for four boys, the managers, four children who were aged like 18 months through to 10 at the time. So there for two years and I was studying via distance education. I ended up changing to a degree in social science through James Cook University in Asia Pacific Governance and Development. And that was because I, up in the territory, saw a few things and started to question whether I agreed with the philosophy that was a basis of the social work degree that I was doing very welfare focused which absolutely there's a place for of course but where I started to see the most impact comes from I feel and still resonate with this really now is like community development and I think business can have a huge part to play um, in doing good and social impacts yeah so I yeah swapped over and studied and 
Yeah, and then after two years on the station, I, I got told I had to go back to uni in Townsville to go and finish the degree. They said, you've got to come and do your papers and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I went to Townsville and I was staying with a, a friend and going to uni and I lasted about, I think, six weeks or maybe not even because like two hours a week or four hours a week is just when you've been working to go to that yes. environment. It's just so I ended up applying for or getting offered a job out west again in Longreach, which is a town of about two thousand people in the central west. So Africa. slightly bigger than where you'd be. Slightly been bigger, yeah. And yeah, and so then I went back and they uni accommodated it so that I could just finish the degree by distance again. And mm. yeah, and went back and worked in Longreach in public health role. So I was working for, it was at the time called a Medicare local, but it's like a um, primary health organisation. I was doing a project officer role, supporting 15 very remote, rural and remote communities right around the central and southwest. So again, connecting with a lot of people that I already knew from when I lived on the station. So right from the pretty much the beginning of your career as such, you have been in that rural community seeing the needs and the and not even just the needs but living in and experiencing that community yeah I think yeah it's interesting I definitely like it's not agriculture in the sense of cows and grass it's always been the people side of it that's really interested me that rural sociology stuff but I think yeah I think I, I got definitely the experience of being out west and I've lived in a very isolated setting of only for two years to be fair so nothing like what some people have lived in and experienced for many years but yeah I've seen how what life is like there which has been interesting then coming to New Zealand and having an experience of isolation in a different form not geographic Mm -hmm. like that but gee it's not a it's not just geographic isolation that hurts Mm -hmm. it's there's so many different types of isolation yeah so, oh, I should mention when I was on the working at Durham Down Station in the Channel Country for that two years, while I was there, I started a thing called the Channel Country Ladies Day. So with my boss at the time, the manager and mum of the four boys, we spent hours and hours in the car <laughs> driving to town. The nearest town where you'd go for anything was eight hours away. You'd pass two towns in eight hours. Yeah. And one town was the 30 people town. And the other town was a town of about 200, which had a very small, what you'd call dairy, like corner store kind of thing. And a wow. pub. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. in that's those... giving good context, good <laughs> context. <laughs> in that eight hours, there was many chats had. And one thing I'd seen happen in the Northern Territory was there was a thing called a ladies day where women get together because the Northern Territory is also isolated, maybe not quite as extreme in some cases, but they'd get together, have some prawns for lunch, have some market stalls and have a speaker and then go home. And when I came down to the Channel Country, I realised that there was all these women working so hard, raising their families, working on the stations or in town, and there was lots of social events. But at every social event, the women were behind the bar making the slices doing the work so where was the kitchen yeah Yeah. where was the time for them and so I was like oh there's ladies days in the territory why don't we do this down here so the first year which was the second year I was governessing we put a poster together and pulled some things together and invited some women and we had a hundred women turn up in the hangar of the where the planes parked in the shed and oh it poured with rain which is 
so rare and not what you want to the point where some women did a 360 degree turn on the driveway coming in it was so slippery <laughs> and and got their mud on their feet and um yeah but had a wonderful time for a weekend of guest speakers um workshops um sex toys um health providers tarot card reading you name it and camping by the creek including a 90 something year old woman who came out with her carer just because she wanted to relive what it was like for her as a young woman yeah so it was a very powerful weekend and your first taste of kind of bringing a community together yeah in a sort of big way I'd done some artist residency stuff I'd organized while I was there um but a smaller scale um yeah and so but we just thought it was a bit of fun really to be honest we weren't really thinking much about the impact of it but I that first that weekend I had women coming up to me like nearly in tears saying wow like this has really this has helped me so much or Mm -hmm. you've made me think what am I doing with my life and it was really powerful and then it was actually one of the sponsors who'd given a little bit of money for that said we'll give you 10k for next year and it was like shit but (laughs) we weren't even necessarily thinking there was a next year but Mm -hmm. when someone's offering you 10 grand at that time that seems like a lot of money so oh we can't just say no to that and they could see the value in it and now Mm. the channel country ladies day is this year i'm going next weekend to the 10th event which is at the dury in far western queensland yeah so it moves around the channel country each year still run by a team of volunteer women i'm not involved much at all because my time is just stretched in so many directions but it's really powerful and I guess I came to New Zealand and thought that was a chapter or what and people said to me why aren't you doing that here and I was like oh Mm. I can't really see how it fits and it's quite different like it was a really big adjustment coming here but then over time can have seen how it could work here and and then in the August of 2013 um, I met a farmer from New Zealand who was there on his working holiday or his few years OE and yeah my housemates were like oh he's going back to New Zealand in a few months don't even go there but that's not really much of a way to live your life. So how long after you met him did you move to New Zealand? So we met in August and he was coming back and he came back in the December and it was part of the succession plan for the family farm that he was coming back to to take the management of that on. And his sister got married in the January. So I got invited over to the wedding and got to meet the whole family in one go. <laughs> Not daunting at Good. all. He's got four sisters. so <laughs> Good to tick it off though. And actually we did a camping trip around the North Island, which was Oh, so lovely. And the weather was so good. good. It was a good um, it was a good advertisement for New Zealand. It was. Yeah. If it was winter yeah. I'd know yeah. and yeah, and then I went back to my job in Longreach and he was here and things and to be honest, I got back over there and my housemates had moved out. Longreach has tried it quite a transient, sometimes more remote places be quite transient, like with teachers or nurses or whatever yes. coming and going. So when I got back, my housemates had all moved. So and the house was being like wrapped up so literally like I'm there in my swag like with no furniture and just falling my eyes out really (laughs) because I was like oh that things had changed and Mm. yeah I guess I was missing him or in lust or love or whatever it is (laughs) I looked at some jobs and so it was in the April after a quick trip to Sri Lanka for a quick holiday that we yeah that I moved over yeah so it was looking back that was quite quick but yeah Mm. 
<laughs> but I had a job to come to. And so, yeah. yeah, I moved to the farm and started a job. Yeah, yeah. So how long ago was that? When would you, What year was that? That was April 2014. Okay, so just under 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. Okay, so you arrive in New Zealand, you start working. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then <laughs> I think... It's like the not being understanding what a dairy farm is. Like I'd had that little glimpse from growing up with a good family friends. I think when I'd rung mum to tell her I've met this dairy farmer from New Zealand, she's probably, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, Because her impression of dairy farmers were like meat and three veg and don't leave the farm, you know, that. (laughs) But, yeah, I think it it was a culture shock. It was a huge culture shock. Just like the first time going through carving or even that first year just generally Mike was back on the farm trying to make it work as best he could but basically would go to work 14 whatever hour day come home fall asleep on the couch repeat the next day and so that was my like welcome to New Zealand and welcome to daring and shit what life is this really to be honest it was pretty yeah that was quite tough I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was like selling the lifestyle that this wonderful rural life and also the other thing around isolation that I was like reflecting on from realizing at the time from like my time in Queensland was like I think that here there's a lot more smaller properties and I'm sure this is the case in Australia too but where you've got very much could be one man bands or one or two man bands working very isolated on their own all day that's very different to a setting where you've got people working a working station a working station where, where there's a lot like, going on yeah. and it's and daring is relentless it's mm. and yeah and he was probably or well, he was doing so much on his own so yeah it was it, yeah I'm not selling it to you am I but that <laughs> these are all very they, these are your first impressions and your experience and a lot of what you're talking about is stuff that particularly for us non-rural mm people you uh, we're becoming more and more aware of and now we talk about this stuff a lot more but it's only in recent years isn't it and I did read on the website that you live in Horofenua so and that is I guess it's different to Australia isn't it it's not eight hour drives or anything like that but it's still fairly remote for you isn't it I guess it's been, it's interesting because, so we're on about 700 acres here. Yeah, just near Waikawa Beach and Otaki's 10 minutes-ish, or a bit more okay. one way, and then Levin's 15 minutes the other way. So it's things are close, but I think sometimes that makes it harder for rural communities in terms of coming together because you've got people that will, you can easily commute from here to Wellington or you can be drawn different mm. ways or up to Palm. I used to work in Palmy each day. So you've got people going different directions so it's not like you're all coming together around a common place yeah you move here you start working you begin your family do you want to then talk a little bit about where the initial idea for shepherdess came from yeah so it was probably out of that oh my goodness what have I done what's this like this farming life no but Yeah, it was quite isolating in some ways. And one thing when I was on the station, we had mail come once a week on the mail plane on the longest mail run in the world. And, or it was, if it's still going. And the mail, the plane would fly over and literally the cockatoo, the dog, the kangaroo, pet kangaroo, we'd all be piled in the ute or on the bike or whatever enough to, to get the mail. So it was a really big sort of social thing. And then you'd get the mailbag and there'd be the paper, the weekly Queensland rural paper in there and then the paper it's got a town and country section and you've got your stuff about your bulls and your 
you know, all that pest control and all those things. But then in the middle is this section around what's happening in the little towns, in the little communities. And often you'll read it and you'll know someone in there or know of something Mm -hmm. that you can connect with. And I felt that, and also I had knew of a woman who started a magazine in Australia called Grazy Her, Claire Dunn, and she's created this magazine about women on the land and for women on the land. And so there, there was, I was familiar with these publications and I guess really valuing the role that black print media has in um, connecting people and felt that here you do get a lot, if you're a rural delivery, you get a lot of stuff in your letterbox yeah. of publications, which from a like farm management point of view is probably great and really there is definitely really valuable things, but it's cows and grass and mm. or has been cows and grass and that's not really that's not what floats my boat or gets me excited. No. Like it's more about the the people and I could see that there was a really a missing people a place for people stories from rural communities to connect. I was gonna people. say because you could get like traditional titles that are the the women's magazines and all that but that's missing that oh I'm seeing people like me here absolutely and I think that's what we always strive to do or what I hope that when you do pick up the magazine is that you feel like that could be your neighbor that could be your mom that could be you and it reflected in those stories it's real yeah and I yeah I think media traditionally it hasn't felt like that podcasting is great isn't it because yeah. it's it is real and it's those authentic conversations but yeah so I started talking to Claire about it and Claire had actually also met a New Zealand dairy farmer and we started having chats about it and then I'd had my first baby Hartley who's just turned five on Saturday and he was two months old or three months old and I was going back to work in Wellington so Mike was going to have him and with a bit of help from his mum and I was studying my master's so it was all go and just over Christmas time and Claire said she was like oh what about now's the I feel like now's the time to do this thing that we've talked about and I was thinking like oh my god there's so much on the go but it's too good an idea or opportunity Mm. it's something that I really feel strongly about there's never going to be a perfect time when everything's cruisy and yes. <laughs> sitting around having cocktails. Let's do it. And so we started a blog, which was totally basic, just, you know, uh, me, I'm not a writer, me writing some stories or interviewing women and, and yeah, sharing their stories on this blog and with the view that we would go into print or start the print magazine. And so we did that across that year, which is 2019. Did and you call it Shepherdess? Then? It was called Grazio New Zealand at the start, okay. which is Claire's brand, which she's done mm. an amazing job of building in Australia. And then we called for names for women to name their magazine. Right. So right from the start, it was very much around getting the community and saying this is because we've seen the need. How did you get the word out about your blog at that point? So it's just all online at that we, point and you're obviously using connections and people you know, writing sort of stories like about sort of people or, you know, within your own networks, I'm imagining. Then how do you get the word out? Did you use social media? Did you, how did you do that? Yeah, those early days we really used Instagram a lot. I didn't know how to use Instagram, by the way. So that was a learning. <laughs> Claire taught me how to do that, along with when it got closer to the time, she taught me on a whiteboard how to make a magazine. What do you actually put on the pages? We literally had a whiteboard session, <laughs> what to do. So very grateful to her for all her support with that. But yeah, it was Instagram that we used a lot. And then even just identifying like 
who were people that had a good following or well-connected or well-regarded in the community, messaging, personal messaging them about what we were doing. Yeah, and just I guess we were fortunate because I'd had worked in a space where I was out on the ground and I'd talked to a lot of women here, then it wasn't like it was coming from like I didn't have a fancy, there was no fancy business plan. There was no, I couldn't give you the data. If you'd come along as an mm. investor or something, like it probably, it wouldn't have had the stats to back up this concept. But it was like, I could see from the conversations that there was a need. And so we were drawing on that. And then I went and I pitched to organisations, some of the larger rural organisations and said, hey, we want to create a magazine and here's the concept. And it was pretty incredible, really. A lot quite a few organizations said straight away from that conversation yeah we'll get behind you which is pretty bloody brave of them really because yes. to I didn't have anything to show for it other than this document that I'd created in Canva kind of thing <laughs> yeah that was cool to see them step so up. you knew even when you were starting that that initial blog mm. and because you'd had this connection with Claire and mm. you knew that you did it did ultimately you were looking I'm going to do a a magazine or something like that. But you just started small side project initially, get some stories and figure out if this is what people are wanting, even though you do. Yeah, just I guess that going and doing a blog is a really low cost thing that you can just, anyone can start one tonight. Like it's minimum viable product thing. But we knew that the magazine was the goal. and But I had no intention of... um, being the sole <laughs> creator of a magazine. It's just that as things unfolded through the year, Claire said, I need to focus on, she's focusing on the Australia magazine, which she still yeah. is at the, she's a publisher of and has continued to grow. So she's been a huge support to me as a friend and as a mentor. But yeah, so it was came to the end of the year and we were about to go into printing a first one and she said she needed to focus on the Australian mag. And I said, you know what, I want to give this a go. and But I, I had no media experience or no. <laughs> so it was a kind of, I guess, sink or swim moment. But I wanted to give it a try. So this is the bits that I love to know about. So money-wise, are you then going, did you go, right, this is, I find out how much it's going to cost to print a magazine this many pages that's going to cost me this I'm going to need to sell it for this so I'm going to need to get money this much money from and that initial part Mm. did you drill down that or did you go we're going to invest some of our own money here and I mean obviously you've invested your time (laughs) but there's lots of things like photography and and all that kind of thing that you have to pay for and and writers and all that kind of thing so talk to me a little bit about kind of the financial and logistical side of starting a magazine yeah um so I guess I think I didn't know at the start going into it what the costs of things the true cost of things gonna be I think I found a budget that I'd done like a while in I should go back and look at it again you just laugh because you just have no idea until you're doing something you have no idea what the the real costs of things are so financially we at the start uh, we got the part I got the partners on board those a few organizations that said yep they'll put a little bit of money in I'm not talking big big amounts of money like you're like no one's giving me five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> no, to produce my first magazine no, no. No. but actually that's a blessing that's mm. in terms of a learning of I think you are better for when you start something you're better for trying to make it work as a 
for if you're trying to start a business, that's where your customers are paying and that, to check that it's a sustainable it's idea because grant funding is, yeah, it's, that's a whole conversation. Yes, yeah. it needs to stand alone. It needs to stand alone yeah. without the grants and without that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's one thing uh, what we're doing now and with what we're doing with the mag and the many other things we're doing too, grants is a really key part of that. But but yeah, from a mag point of view, it's can you sell copies or not? So we got some contribution yeah. from a few organisations that were willing to back me walking in going, hey, I've got this idea. And then we also put out uh, for subscriptions for people to pre-order a subscription. So we set up, just had it going on the website that people could, before Christmas this was, so this was at the end of, 2019 people could get on and to order a subscription and we were launching in March the magazine I'm not sure if we actually had that all stitched up or said at the time yeah I remember and you were committing to a few titles then at that point if you're selling a subscription you're putting your money where your mouth is and saying this you're going to be paying for more Mm. than one title here yeah cool yeah absolutely I think because I didn't know what I don't know then <laughs> you know we're boots and all in but um yeah no uh yeah and then trying to get advertisers on board yeah obviously printing is the biggest cost obviously for a print mm. publishing side of business every time you print run it's 20 something thousand it has been for us yeah that's a fair or maybe it was a little bit less at the start but yeah it was a fair whack yeah, and then obviously you've got your content as well and your, your freelance writers, your freelance photographers. Yeah, how did you go about gathering all of that? <laughs> that first one was very homemade. My, I right. said to my mother-in-law, hey, you do, you're a good baker. Can you do the recipes? So she did. Good. And my sister-in-law, she's got an eye for styling. So she's there like styling the recipes in a cardboard box. We've got the, <laughs> you can't tell, hopefully. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it was quite family all in to pull it together. And I was writing stories like interviewing people but yeah also came across some writers and photographers you know but that's really definitely got easier as we've gone on so now we're producing the 16th edition that will come out in this end of November. Wow so that first title how many people did you have to pay to work on the magazine for that first one? Oh gosh it goes into a bit of a blur (laughs) (laughs) um try and think we had our designer so right from the start because that's not a skill set that I have even though I'm really interested in visually but yeah so we had our our designer we had some of the writing was contributed just for the first time round Mm. while we're getting started the other question I had actually was um, and we talked about this sort of earlier Mm. off the recording but it's a beautiful magazine and you know I know it's not just a magazine the whole platform is beautiful and the photography is really beautiful it's designed really uh, it's very thoughtful thoughtfully designed Mm. it's a different it's not a sort of traditional shape I don't think like the size is slightly different etc is that what it looked like for the first one as well did you have a really clear vision right from the beginning on the kind of the look and feel that you wanted for the magazine yeah so we the first one was it the cover was like a a bit of a glossy it had a as if you could leave it around the cow shed if it got a bit of milk spilled on it or something like that or so it felt a bit different so now like we've gone for the the offset stock that you can feel there now and yeah the design inside has evolved it has evolved over time but I guess we always doing a quality a beautiful quality product was always really important and part of what I was trying to achieve um, with it so I guess that's something yeah I think we've continually refine it but I think 
from the outset, it was like, actually, we want to do this, we're going to do it well. And I think that try and apply that to anything that we do. Mm-hmm. But and if, I think these are the magazines you want to keep. My husband gets kiwi fruit magazines, and they're very much like you read them and then they get recycled. Whereas these are those sort of heirloom mags that, like for me, it's always been like Vogelwang or whatever that you keep and you keep in your pile and it grows and grows. And it's not so much a the sort of thing that it would be read and put into the recycling bin. It's a keeper, isn't yeah, it? Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, it's lovely to think that if it does take a spot on the bookshelf or on the coffee table mm. and, yeah, the stories too, they're not, they don't have a short life. They're yes. fairly evergreen. So, yeah. Yeah. So you that all of that was part of the initial vision. Like you knew that this, this is the sort of magazine that you're creating. Yeah, this is what I guess you're it, building. Because everyone says were you mad going into print? It's not really seen as a wise move in a day and age of everyone's increasingly digital. And this was before lockdown, by the way. We didn't even know COVID was a thing when right. we... You didn't know COVID was coming. No, yeah. we, the magazines arrived on a pallet at the cow shed and Mike unloaded them with his, with his tractor. And then the week later, we went into lockdown. Wow. So it was, yeah, yeah pre <laughs> being aware of that. But I just felt yeah. strongly that, print is such a tactile medium and that touching it the smell of the paper stock the feel of the turning the pages it's all sort of part of that taking a moment for yourself yeah that community connection from reading I think we're so absorbed with our phones now and myself included with bad habits on that that yeah just having a moment away from that is is a good thing and so yeah it's it was really conscious yeah cool yeah so talk a little bit about that first issue arrives like you say it arrives on the pallets to the the farm shed and you're in you're based in Horofenua so you're not it's not like your logistics center in Hamilton or something <laughs> like that what do you do so we had printed 5,000 here's me thinking oh there's going to be so many events and hairdressers will love them yes. and cafes will love them well when lockdown happened no. there wasn't any of that so I was like, so what are we going to do now? How do we get the magazine out to people when and build it, basically keep building a brand when, yeah, we don't have those sort of traditional formats that we would have relied on? So that was challenging and it did mean that it was trying to be creative really around how people are at home now. We were really fortunate with opened, like part of the strategy was to try and get some subscriptions purchased in advance. So we've had them open since the end of the year. And so there had been some keen folk that had got on and were willing to give it a go and got their subscription first up. Was um, that a decent portion of the 5,000? Do you remember? Oh, I can't even remember now. <laughs> you know, it's so funny, hey, the years just, they just fades, I think, or maybe some of the pain. <laughs> so some of the details, I'm like, oh, is that just baby brain or what? Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, we, but we did have a few pre-sales cool. and then the rest of them were going to go and then really the majority of them were going to be a way to get the word out that there was this new magazine and we'd been thinking about all the places that you might send a magazine to and yes. obviously as soon as when COVID hit those opportunities or avenues weren't available they were closed and everyone was home so it was a shit okay how are we going to get this out to people and we're going to have to change our approach and so then it was around one idea we had was like a rural road reach so saying nominate your road and we'll send you a bundle of magazines and share them with your neighbors type thing so we yeah any way we could think of to to try and connect with 
Yeah. And for that first issue, are you effectively sending a lot of those out for free? Like when you say, oh, we'll send you a bundle, was that like, look, let's just treat a lot of this as marketing getting that word out there, get them to read that first issue. Okay, so yeah. it's actually clever, like kind of building that into your your initial kind of budget. Like we don't, we're not necessarily going to sell all of this no. 5,000. We're going to use this as a marketing tool because we want them to buy issues too to infinity yeah, yeah cool absolutely. okay yeah. I think too with magazine like there's magazines and there's magazines and until you've you can explain to someone like what it is but until they've actually physically picked it up and seen it and touched it and felt it and experienced it then not real don't necessarily understand exactly where you're pitching yours at so you know when in the early days of Shepherdess I had a chat to someone in the media industry who I won't name where <laughs> they were like a real yeah really high regarded in media and I had an interview with them and I said oh how about I send you a few copies of the magazine and they said oh no don't worry about it save your money but by this point I'd already I'd already got before they came back to me I'd already sent some down to them and then when we were chatting he said oh my goodness like he said this is he referred to it as of a similar caliber to New Zealand Geographic which I was so stoked about at the time because that's mm. a magazine everyone aspires to yeah. have a quality of. But I said to the team, what do, they, what do people expect? Just because it's coming from a farm doesn't mean we've photocopied it in the cow shed. It's, yeah. I guess it's funny though, isn't it? Because I think there are probably a lot of people that have had grand ideas before of doing stuff. And yeah, they obviously underestimated the <laughs> the your vision and it takes skill to do what you've done and to put together a magazine of the calibrators. And I can imagine they probably get lots of pictures and idea off the regularly. Tell me, even right back then, was did you look at distribution right from the word go or was it just not really an option for an independent mag with a first issue? Yeah, so Farmlands actually came on board at the start to have the magazine in their stores, which was very cool. Um, They could see the potential with it at the time for it. So for up until recently, the magazine was in Farmland stores like across the country and had been since the first edition. But to get it distributed more broadly. Like in terms of like traditional distribution, like I can buy it at my local dairy in Mount Monganui now. Yeah, you know. cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of distribution. That sort of distribution. That was, that took a long time to, to get that, even though wanting that from this, from right on, early on. <laughs> it was in Panya, the one that Panya is on the cover of. So mm-hmm. spring 2020 and Panya, Tipaiho, Marsh, Wahini Toa Hunting grace the cover and that was the first one in supermarkets retail distribution at the time I thought oh let's just get it into provincial areas so that's where we started but then we started getting asked why isn't it in Auckland why can't I find it in Wellington so then it expanded but with retail distribution there's one distributor which is now called R Direct and there's a very lengthy process that they go through with each market or retailer to and each retailer has different protocols. It's not just even that first one, that third edition that went, it started off in Foodstuffs North Island. So that's like your New World's pack and mm. safe in certain stores. But then it was a process to get it into Foodstuffs South Island. And right. it was a different process to get it into Countdown. So that didn't happen until much later. So we had got it up recently to like over 5,000, re- oh, sorry, 5,500 retail outlets, but 
that has taken right so it's not just a it's not just a case of we had a huge budget so we were able to get into to to traditional retail distribution it's a long process for any one and you've yeah. got to be in it for the long haul that's interesting I'm not sure maybe if you were coming from media or had a well-known backer or something like that maybe it would might be different, different. yeah okay <laughs> we're just I'm just literally starting off from the farm well you'd bootstrapped it from your own cash and all that <laughs> yeah. so it's a bit different okay yeah. cool so lockdown you're distributing it yourselves you're using that first issue as a marketing tool you're getting and you're driving sales through the website and obviously it's well received yeah so I remember my accountant said to me oh don't bother getting like a subscription management just do it in excel and then take thinking like oh it will take time and then it was like wait a minute I can't deal this is getting too confusing working out excel how many subscribers this time where does the edition expire it's quickly you realize oh geez we need something that's gonna uh, help us keep track of it yeah that was really exciting yeah then it's really just the team's grown tried to refine what we're doing build the quality of it the distribution build building up like a team of freelancers writers and photographers that you really love working with and really get it yeah what did the team look like in that first issue I know obviously it was you and you were working with some freelancers but things like the website did you build that yourself how did that work yeah so we had the website sorry we had a website from before the magazine was a physical magazine of course you had the blog yeah Yeah. we had that and then I'd never used Instagram till Claire showed me how to use it when we started doing the blogging so what's this but yeah and then I guess the website like the website's taken multiple iterations as we've gone so yeah absolutely it was I, I did it myself at the start and then we went Will we do it? I can't remember what the first one was in, but then the next one was in Squarespace. And then just recently, we've only just gone to a WordPress website that we've had designed like bespoke for us and a new whole backend software and stuff to manage our email database and subscriptions. But that's all taken a long, long time yes. to get to this point. But those early days, it was very homemade, yeah. roping in favours from family for bits and pieces. I was writing stories in that first one and I'm not a writer. And yeah, we had a designer. We did have a sub-editor who was editing stories, but it was very like small and I would say unsophisticated. Yeah. It's In fact, you look back and go, wow, that's pretty good for with mm. the small um, resource that we had. And then, yeah, I guess it's just organically grown since then to like now where we have all part-timers, but yeah, a a team and different tasks that they're all Mm. responsible for. Yeah. How many issues did you give yourself? In your head, did you have a, I'll do three or I'll do the first two? When you launched, did you have the second issue humming away in the background? (laughs) (laughs) What was your kind of future thought at that time? I guess, no, I don't think I ever gave myself a certain number of issues. I just had this faith, rightly or wrongly, that it was going to work. But I think two things I'd say. One is that when you're early on in the piece, you really do just go edition to edition um, because that's all you can, that's how we worked. Mm. You can't really see much past it. So you'd get that one off to print. And I remember my mother-in-law said, oh, Chrissy, it's gone off to print. It must be such a relief. And it was like, oh, but now there's all the marketing com. Now I've got to sell it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, like it's the next phase of it. When you're in a startup business, there's no, Mm. you don't sit there twiddling your thumbs. Well, 
that's not I don't there's just the next thing to do there's so many things to do you could feel every hour of every day if you wanted it's more trickier to stop but yeah and I guess yeah so I guess I just had this I just knew it was needed and yeah but I've also had great guidance along the way Mm. and a really good crew of professionals around me that have been a great source of support so I guess I was would have thought that if at any point it wasn't working that they'd be like guide you out (laughs) what are you thinking but yeah yeah okay so you're nearly four years in let's talk a little bit about what where we're at today so how many editions have you released so far how many people are working for shepherdess and what does the business look like today I know that it's a lot more than a, a printed magazine and and obviously the website so can you talk a little bit about what shepherdess as a business looks like today yeah so we've just got just sent the proofreader yesterday the 16th edition which will be out on the 30th of november yeah that's exciting to see that the magazine continue to evolve and yeah really come together we've got a team of Oh, I don't actually know the specific number where we've got, I think there's like 10 of us or so or 14 of us and everyone except for me is part-time. They're all based all around the country in all different parts of, of New Zealand. In fact, one of our team members is in the Chatham, lives in the Chatham Islands. Wow. <laughs> so we really spread out in all sorts of working from kitchen tables, from farms, you name it, across the country. And yeah, one of our team is in Otago up in Whangarei, Heads, Nelson, out of fielding, yeah, Gisborne, out of Gisborne on Orchard, all sorts. And yeah, we connect obviously through all the ways that remote workplaces connect and stay in touch now. But I guess Shep has grown too. So the mag is, I think, but as like the bread and butter or sort of the core, core bring everything together in print. And then we I guess you could say it's a media company with, if that's the flash way to describe it, (laughs) feel like that day to day. But I also see that I like to say we're a social impact organisation and that's how we do talk about ourselves is that because we're doing, in addition to the magazine, we've got the muster or the shepherdess muster, which is at Motu in Titarafiti in February, a three-day festival bringing women from across New Zealand together for three days for arts, health and being, all sorts of exciting things. How many musters have you done? This is the inaugural muster. Oh, this is yeah. the, So this is taking from that experience way back at the beginning of your working career and bringing that to New Zealand. Yeah, that's right. Oh. It's pretty, it's been a long journey to get here. Maybe we'll come to that later. It's been, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so February is 16th to 18th of February is when it, we finally realised in cool. the first event. And then obviously television and television that the series that we've been producing this year and that's just gone to air with three episodes in now of being on air and three more to go. Obviously, but to people oh. listening on to this, they might not know about that. So how so you've got a television series, it's just launched. How does that come about? It came about I got I got a contacted in December two years ago by a commissioner at Sky, Dana Youngman, and she reached out because they could see the space for stories of rural life of life on the farm from a woman's perspective and she'd seen what we're doing with the magazine and we just started talking and 
things evolved and we put forward an application to New Zealand on air because making TV is <laughs> not cheap. Expensive, yeah. <laughs> and we were fortunate to get funding from New Zealand on air and combine that with Sky and their backing and wanting to air the, the show. And by this point too, I'd met a producer, Nadia Maxwell from North Canterbury. She's a film producer and worked for a long time in Screen World. And she just happened to come into send me an email actually um, out of the blue about the same time that comms were or conversations were happening with Sky and so yeah so it's a co-production between Shepherdess and Nadia's company Overactive Imagination and it yeah led to us for the last 12 months yeah producing a series where we traveled around and filmed with women in six different parts of provincial New Zealand and six small towns yeah, so right through from research phase, working out where we'd go and who we'd film with. So we filmed with 18 women, so three women in each place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the result is on TV at the moment. Wow, what an amazing string to the shepherdess bow. Is there, how have you found the process? Have, would you like to do more or are you, is it just a one hit wonder or what do you think? Hopefully it's a, well, it would be lovely if it was a long-standing, regular-running show. Would Country be, calendar. <laughs> would be yeah. the goal. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the goal is bigger than just a one-off series, ideally. It mm. would grow from there. How yeah. cool is that? Yeah. It's what been, an exciting opportunity. Yeah, it's been, and the feedback the last few weeks has been so touching. The writing, we've had women writing in, I've been receiving the most beautiful messages at all hours of the day and night from women saying that brought them to tears that it just so resonated with them yeah it's really quite raw that I guess that's what we wanted to do with the series was show that these aren't just these are not farmers or these are not whatever their role might be postmistresses or but actually like looking at the whole woman the woman's whole life and Mm. their relationships what's important to them what they believe in yeah so yeah it was a special experience and glad to see that it's been yeah how it's been received well received that's so cool okay so my next question I'd love to know what a typical day or week looks like for you but also for you specifically what a the life cycle of putting out an issue of the magazine might look like. And I know because I know that it would that cycle would be quite different week to week. And then the final part of this long-winded question <laughs> would also be, it really struck me as you were talking, that's a really big team that none of you are in the same place. So we all know a lot of people got Zoom fatigue over COVID, et cetera, but that for you is just your normal business and your normal working life. So could you also talk a little bit about how that remote business is structured and what you have found works and doesn't work in terms of running that business? So it's a very broad question. (laughs) (laughs) Lots to answer. (laughs) So day to day, I think it's pretty, sounds so boring. <laughs> really, it would be boring to, I feel like I just sit in my office. I say, oh, sometimes in my dressing gown, but like in these daggy clothes and chip away at things and I'm at my computer. But quite, you know, it's far from like flashiness that you might think from working in print or TV or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so day to day, like, I guess, Either I'm in my office and I'm there for, we just have an office in, in a spare room of the house and my partner, he has his desk just next to me there. Or 
Otherwise, like if there's something happening, I'm out on the road. So obviously when we were filming for TV, we're out on the road with that and might be away for a few days at a time or whatever. But yeah, when I'm home and and just a usual day working, I've actually, we have, a, we have our team meetings via Zoom. So we have a few, we have three different teams in the organization. We have an editorial team, we have a ops team so that's marketing and comms and those kind of things and then we have a project team for the muster event plus then we have other I guess through the tv process we have had other teams as well and each of those teams has a either weekly or fortnightly meeting it's just depending on yeah the cadence depends on what their need needs are so ops is once a fortnight editorial team is once a week although we have a wider editorial team one week and the other week we have a smaller editorial team meeting and then I also have one-on-ones with my team members every week I have a 15-minute check-in with every team member and then in between those meetings we have we use Slack as our we so using technology really and a lot of tools Slack is our sort of day-to-day chat sort of space or as you think about what you might get in an office over the water cooler Mm. that's what we have different channels on Slack for different things like that And then Asana is what we use for our project management. And that's where all of our deadlines and tasks and things like that are allocated and managed in there. So yeah, so my day, I spend a a lot of time working with my team in comms with them and, and working on things, or we might have external meetings together, which might be Zoom meetings. And again, because... It, the mag is so cyclical across a quarter, then the focus that your that my time spent on the mag will be at any point in time will depend on where we are in that cycle. Mm. And it's been really interesting because the event is very different cycle to mag, which is very different cycle to TV. It's been really interesting, like juggling those together, but also seeing like how they work. The mm. thing I say about the mag is it's really good. It's a really it's really cool because the cycle is very short. So you can learn, make mistakes or try something that doesn't work, quickly learn and get in place a new system for the next time or refine what you've done. And every three months you're doing that, then yeah, you can keep evolving and adapting. Whereas an event, usually <laughs> say it's annual, but in this case, this event's been getting planned since I was pregnant with my second baby, which was in, we first started meeting with women in Tairafati in August of 2020 so it's been over three years of working on one event so it's um it's been a a very long cycle Mm. (laughs) hopefully be realized in in Feb but yeah and then TV it's got its own cycle and its own very distinct phases. One question that structure it sounds great have you just learned that a lot for you as the head of the business have you just figured that out along the way as you've brought more people on and and I'm assuming you didn't start day one with Asana and Zoom structure and all that because obviously you didn't have that but have you just along the way figured out like that's a lot of meetings for you that's a lot Mm. of even just that commitment to meeting with each member of the team once a week is it's clever uh, it's um I, I could see how those sorts of things could easily fall by the wayside and just be emails or whatever mm. how did you get to this sort of structure that you've got now and what did you what have you had to consider along the way I think 
Yeah, so it definitely didn't start like this. It's definitely evolved to this. You find out and you have failures or you have fallen a hole on something and then realize actually, and your team is your biggest asset and your people are your biggest asset. And like what we're doing now, we have the we have honestly the most amazing team. I'm genuinely like love every one of my team members and we do cool stuff together. And that's only possible. You've got to nurture them and look after them and and it's yeah how do you put come up with the best systems in place for the team to all thrive we also we just have just had in, in September our second annual team get together or team weekend and we ended up at Tora on the Bairaka coast yeah which is actually where we'd been filming earlier in the year for the Tora episode but yeah so Kerry from the coastal walk uh let us go and stay in green tops one of the houses on the the walk I've stayed there I love it yes so beautiful hey it's just so perfect the location yeah we had our team weekend and that brings everyone together in person but it's only the second time we've done that how often do you actually get to meet your team in person is it once a year or do you get to see some of them at various times when you're around and about yeah there's obviously we went down and filmed down south so I was going through Dunedin so we went and Zoe's our designer and we went and had lunch and caught up in her studio and so tying in thing opportunities with if I'm out and about Mm. of course going with likewise in Nelson we were filming out of Nelson go and spend time with Claire while I'm there but the only it happens quite informally. There's a couple of team members that are within a driving distance of me here on the farm. If there was, we were going to organise or catching up in the next couple of weeks, just Pepper and myself to do some planning for something. So it's much more informal. So yeah, it doesn't, it's definitely the main way of working is the, is just doing what we can through in a remote work sense. Could you tell me a little bit about how you deal with company culture in a remote workplace? I think the first thing is just being authentic and I'm I I think authentic with my team and encourage them to be the same and whether that's sharing what hilarious or terrible thing my children got up to that day or like I think that we yeah getting to know your team members and colleagues from personal and taking interest in each other's personal because that's ultimately they're living at home working from home so yeah I think just but that's as a genuine interest so yeah I think that's one thing and that's all being authentic too to what we're all about which is about supporting women and bringing together community for women living in provincial New Zealand and all of that I think one thing that really strong on, because I've been there, like all the time that I've been doing Shepherdess, I've either had a baby that's breastfeeding, a baby that's a toddler, uh, or now neither, but she's two. Yes. She's still two. So juggling childcare, juggling, yeah, or having the baby on my lap or whatever. So really conscious of being flexible and accommodating of mums that are trying to juggle things. Mm. And I guess that just you carry that through to how you engage with your team members that are in that situation. And if they need to bring the baby on the call or if they're breastfeeding on the call, that's totally fine. Or And just verbalising the support for that. Or if shit's hitting the fan one night and they can't get to something that they're going to, or it's just about supporting. Like we want a workplace culture that is really supportive of that. Actually with the TV, and I know, we, we were able to, well, Nadia really supported, one of our directors came back, it was her first job after 
she had her first baby and mm-hmm. we worked out to support her on set to bring her baby with her to location with in one week it was her mother-in-law one week it was her mum and adapt the working day for her so she could get home in the evenings earlier than knockoff time because it's long days when you're filming Mm -hmm. and also for her to be able to breastfeed and meet with the baby during the day and things like that so Nadia subbed in directing when she stepped away at night that sort of thing yeah I think it's just about walking the talk when lots of folks I'm sure can say oh we're supporting working mums but actually yeah what little things can you do to do that that actually because even just hearing you describe all of that the whole premise of your magazine or your business and Mm. and the magazine is like you say supporting rural women supporting so it actually stands that you aren't in a head office in a city (laughs) a big team of you imagining what it's like to remote remotely be living and and working so it's the essence of what makes the publication and and all its associated things so great yeah hopefully you feel that when you yeah engage with us or read it that's yeah cool so what again we've talked a little bit about this before but to encapsulate it what are the values and ethos that drive shepherdess authenticity relatability community I think it's about uh, well ultimately it's building a community bringing people together making people feel hopefully a little less alone and yeah making them feel part of something feel recognized I think that's what we hear a lot of and strive to do is making people women in provincial New Zealand feel valued feel seen in their roles and feel like they are not isolated and not alone and yeah part of part feel they have a community that's cool. Mm. What have been your biggest highlights so far in these past four years? I think that one thing, and it's not really jump from the rooftop scene, but still being here, like, as in, because it's bloody hard, startup is really hard. And But I think if there was one thing, and it's not like the biggest award we've won or like getting the TV, obviously, that across the line and being able to deliver that is awesome but I think the thing I am proud of is that the fact that we've been able to create a working environment for women that are living in the middle of nowhere and all over the country and many of them juggling young kids what we just talked about before like I'm really proud of that it's giving women opportunities to do something they're passionate about do something in the art space or media grow their professional development and but do it while they're juggling those other things and I think yeah that's really cool and I hope yeah I want to be able to continue to do that that's awesome has there been any moments so far for you that has been a real game changer a a real turning point uh, in the business that has made you go we are on the right track I don't know it's funny you plot a way to get something all the time. Like you're always, we, I'm always thinking about, okay, like recently we just got accepted and now the magazine's in the airport stores. So when you go into hopefully any one of the airports in New Zealand now, you'll, at the relay stores, you'll be able to pick up Shepherdess. Um, but though every little thing like that takes lots of little pieces of work to get that And then sometimes maybe you don't stop and celebrate it enough when it actually happens because, oh, shit, that was cool. I think that one of the things that 
has been really helpful to us. We're a bootstrapped a small organ with you know what subs we subscription revenue that we can pull together and partners and advertisers and things like that um we've also really looked at what opportunities there are in the grant space and getting for example the public interest journalism funding that we got a couple of years ago was a $292,000 for a digital storytelling project so we delivered that between last year and earlier this year so the project's all wrapped up now Mm. But I guess that was pretty significant for a small, <laughs> just starting out organisation. And yeah, I think, I guess that's what I'm also conscious of is you're always trying to look at, okay, here's for Shepherdess, this is our goal, this is our vision, and what how, what can we do to support that? Where is that resource going to come from? And mm. looking at all the avenues for that resource. And so I guess in that case, that was one way where we were like, okay, how do we maximise our impact with our digital stories? And there was a public interest journalism funding at the time and that allowed us to go and do 81 stories that were published, published digitally over Amazing. the course of nine months. Yeah. That's a great, a great thing to consider actually is what's available in that respect. And grants mm-hmm. don't necessarily come from government, do they either? Mm-hmm. They come from all manner of places. So looking at what's available and mm-hmm. if it fits the remit of your business and how that could be used to support what you're doing. It's a yeah. great, that's great advice. And it's interesting because in some spaces or places it might be that, like that thing around whether you need to be a charitable organisation or whatever. But my experience so far in, and we have received a number of different grants, not of that scale, but like for various things, whether it's for the master or for the storytelling project or other community projects that we've done, mm. is that there hasn't been an issue with with getting that as a business applying. Obviously, where there's community good and commu- intention for supporting community, then yeah, yeah, where your values are aligned and wanting to deliver on that then. So how do you currently market the business? This is, I love marketing. It's a, it's not a marketing podcast, but it's the area I'm particularly interested in. So I love to know where you're at now, how you market the business, where you found sort of success and growth and just any tips or tricks you can share with the audience. I guess to be blunt, we don't have a very big marketing budget or it's not, we do it on a smell of an oily rag. Said nearly every business ever. (laughs) Also, speaking as someone that's worked in marketing for a long time, it's a very common, a common thing to hear. Uh, I guess it's around, we do the sort of, I don't know if you call it basic things of like when the new mag goes out, we print posters, they go to some of the more newsagent sort of dairy places to, to put up. And obviously, at time of launch, ED, you know, EDMs to our database, we do a little bit of digital marketing. We have, it's been a bit of a journey for us with finding what works uh, best in that space. One thing that we, though, coming back to what are our values and our values being really embedded in community and connecting with connecting with our community, we did we have got involved in some of the AMP shows. We actually did it last AMP show season as a bit of a pilot to see how does this work and trialing. So we sponsored, for example, the Horofanoa AMP show and home economics sort of section. And also we went and had a stall at the Flaxbourne show at Ward in Marlborough in back in March, that was, which was lots of fun and really cool and sponsored the show. 
And then we just recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, were up at Gisborne for the Property Bay AMP show over two days and had a stall there and got to meet mm-hmm. lots of lots of women there and coming in and talking about the muster and we're just engaging with us. Yeah, they're probably, and we also get a lot of approaches for sponsorship for community organisations um, or events that are happening, whether it's young farmers or like a board of trustees for like a very rural school um, organising something and very try to be as generous as we can with um, those kind of approaches. So that's great because yeah. actually I often have these conversations with clients or just in general when chatting about business and marketing, which I do sometimes. And it is that whole thing of meeting your audience where they are and that not, is not necessarily in that, yes, of course, lots of people are on Instagram and lots of people are all of that kind of thing, but actually thinking about where your audience are and how you can support them and how you can meet with them and have two-way conversation with Mm. them. So, yeah, those are actually really, that's really insightful marketing really Mm. is looking at some of those rural events and not going, we'll sponsor every single AMP show in the country. Oh, no, we can't afford that, so we won't do it. Going, okay, we might try one and we'll Mm. see what that looks like. And we might go, oh, that worked, but that didn't. So then the next year we try this. And and it's actually a a really practical and clever way to think about marketing. Yeah, and it's interesting because we've been reflecting on the experience of sort of the shows that we've been involved in to date. And every show is a bit different. But say going down to Flaxbourne, it literally was someone's got the mower out on a paddock. It's no field days. Like (laughs) it's it's a smaller scale event. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that's cool. You really get to have some really good conversations and people are so appreciative that you made the effort to come down. And I think... And it's something I talk about with our team often. You talked about how to keep that sort of like company culture or whatever, but we're, that fascination and love for the most back road, small places that we can go, that's really like drives. We come back to that with what we're doing, whether it's in AMP show or which stories we're choosing to, mm. to share in the magazine. And that harks yeah. exactly back to that first value you said, which is authenticity. Like mm. we truly fascinated and interested in these people Mm. that we're wanting to talk to and be part of our community so yeah Yeah. it it all works so nicely and together okay so it's no secret that running a business brings many a challenge let alone starting your business during a pandemic (laughs) but could you talk about any challenges you faced along this last four years and what that's looked like and how you've approached those challenges um I think that the being a mum and starting up a business with young kids has been a challenge, but there is also one main thing that I think has been a real silver lining opportunity with it, which I can share. So, yeah, like how old was Hartley? He was four months old when we started working on the blog, or three months mm-hmm. old, sorry, right then. So it's been nearly his whole life then that I've been doing this, really, and definitely all of Tully's. Literally, I was up at 10 o'clock finishing the address list this she was due not for another six days or seven days and I was literally finishing the address list on the summer edition back three years ago Mm. and got them off sent off to the printer at 10 something went to bed and at 4 30 woke up with my waters having broke (laughs) and like she was born that morning anyway so yeah and um, you decide at least I've got the address list (laughs) yeah at least the address list had been (laughs) done but yeah I think that it's so the the difficulty is 
juggling young kids and then having responsibilities. And it's not, I'm not sure whether there's other businesses that you could do where there's less pressure or maybe there is, or less people needing something from you. But when there's print deadlines and when there's like other kind of deadlines in the space that we're operating, you can't just, things can't slip like Those are the things that you can't just say, I'm just not going to do that today. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you've got to do these things to meet it. That's And then obviously combined into that, we had COVID and then the borders were closed. So my parents and my family, obviously they're all in Australia and like very like limited support. And yeah, it just, or during pregnancy being crook, crock as for the first till 16 20 weeks vomiting and you just like Mm. and trying to juggle toddlers and all of that and then when the new baby came along and things so I think one of the learnings for me was and I still feel this strongly now is that and I guess it's coming from a privileged position to be able to say this but you need to get good childcare. If you've got those kind of responsibilities or need to have stuff done when, then you need good childcare. Otherwise, mm. you'd lose your sanity. There's <laughs> this whole conversation around, uh, I answered a question for something recently about believing that you can have it all. And it's, no, no, you can't. You can't be a full-time mum and a full-time worker. So if you're going to choose to do these big things that we are all trying to some of us are trying to achieve then you actually do you can't just be super mum as well you've got to get that support you've got to get that help yeah absolutely and I think that's been something and I and am unashamed to say that my kids go at least now to started school prior to that goes have gone to care five days a week yes Tully when she was a baby newborn she was literally like sitting on my lap here day after day and feeding and then be put on the floor and I'd keep typing kind of thing it comes a point when that's not really sustainable to keep doing and yeah I think you just need and not just childcare, but I do we have our neighbor she comes and helps us two mornings a week and gets the kids off to school and drops them off and then mm. comes back and does some housework and that sounds incredibly luxurious and embarrassing to admit but it's like there's no way I could give the hours. Well, it's not because you're working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. you've got to like, you know, and it's not just a nine to five job. And I'm sure anyone in the sort of startup space, but like, you know, not last night, the night before I was working till 1am after 1am. And that's mm. not unusual. That's, mm. you know, if there's deadlines that needs to happen, it happens. And sometimes multiple nights a week. That's not to say that's a great tool or strategy, but it's just um, the time of life that you're in and the yeah. phase of business you're in. But I yeah. agree. It's just yeah. that actually, I think even just acknowledging that and acknowledging that in order to do this, I need this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't have to be the hero that does it all and feel, and then because that affects you in different ways, right? Because then you just feel like you're constantly dropping the ball and you feel like you're never achieving anything. And that's not good for anyone either. It's too hard. It's better. Yeah. If you can, that learning of, and that's only come from lots of tears along the way of times of, oh, this is not working, but to, to, it's better to have the kids go and have a wonderful day at their preschool and then to be able to pick them up and hopefully be more present with them on the weekends or in those other times. Mm. The other, the only, the silver lining I would say to the whole kids space is that maternity leave with Tully was actually, or my maternity leave was actually the time because I was working I had a job for the start of the magazine like I was working in Wellington and then I was working for freelance contracting for other firms and it was actually so there was all that to juggle and it was just a part-time thing on the side and then it was when I went on maternity leave when Tully was born it was actually really good opportunity to be able to put my 
whole energy, except for what the baby requires, into this. And I think that's probably the case for many women. But yeah, it's actually like, yeah, maternity leave does offer (laughs) opportunities (laughs) in the sense that it does allow you to step back from those other things. Yeah. Cool. One of the other, if I reflect on the last few years, and one of the other big challenges has been getting the muster off the ground. It's been COVID uh, in 2022 when we were going to first deliver this is a three-day festival up at Mortu. COVID didn't allow it. Then we were going to do a road trip. We rejigged and we thought we'll do a road trip to little communities and take the concept for a night. Then that wasn't possible due to COVID and we were all ready to go in February of this year and three days out the cyclone Gabrielle came through. Wow yeah. So I was like And I think so many times there have been so many challenges along the way that at any point, if you, you could have said, that's it, I'm done. This is, we've tried, but actually I thought about it after the cyclone and successive things that have happened. It's, oh, it's dogged determination. There's going to see this happen. I'm so determined. And all that hard work, like you it's got to get over the line, but yeah. oh, and I, I wow. Think it's too, it's, I think new concepts to people can be scary. I think it's really interesting. It's something I've noticed with across the muster and across other things in life. You think that the people that might support you are going to come out and support you, but people don't. They sit, this is probably a, a, a sad thing for, or a hard thing for in the startup space, or if you're trying to get an idea out but it's good to talk about the goods and the bads. But people, sometimes they'll, they want to look at the, from the sideline and they'll either watch you fail or they'll wait till you succeed before they're willing to jump in or commit. Yeah. And I, it's really interesting. Yeah. But, and actually like all credit to those that are willing to put themselves on the line when they see a good concept and want it to succeed. But yeah, but I'm so determined <laughs> this, that February will be go off with a bells and whistles and, and a how hit. many women are you expecting to attend? Uh, Two fifty to three hundred. Wow, yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh so, wow. Yeah, for in like no more cyclones, no more flooding. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we need this David. Oh, and what a wonderful thing that will be for the region as well. Obviously, one of the worst hits. So isn't it great that you'll be able to go and give back to that region and be part of it? Absolutely. It's at the time afterwards you're thinking like, is this the right thing to be going back and what should we do? But the women in the area was it's supportive or encouraging, saying, you have to come back to Water. They really need it. Yeah. That's awesome. What's the most important lesson you've learnt so far in this journey of Shepherdess? I think the most important lesson is about building community and that's about valuing people and yeah, being all about people. And I guess that's what we've tried to do from the very day dot and I hope what comes through and what we still try and do now. But, yeah, staying true to your values and being authentic and building community in that way and I think that comes from whether it's an Instagram takeover where we have women come and take over our Instagram and share a day in their life like a lot of our on our social channels sharing user generated sort of images from women in the community and then sharing those stories in the magazine and yeah all all across what we do I think it's just the importance of building community. Who or what have been the biggest influences in your work so far? 
I think I've been really fortunate to have people that have come along and been significant mentoring and advising and help to me along the way. So right from the start, Claire from Grazy Her, the magazine in Australia, we actually, as I talked about, started this together. And if it wasn't for Claire, I would not have had the confidence to go into this on my own. And I wouldn't have known, as I said to you, we planned the magazine out on whiteboards. It's just having support from someone else who had been down this path before and who was willing to share their knowledge without any pretenses or just so genuinely and giving generous of time and knowledge. That's been that's been really huge. And then I think over the time you start you build relationships with women who either through working together all through working together but you find who believes in you and who is paddling on the same walker or towards the same vision or in in goal and yeah I've been there's multiple women actually yeah interestingly that have come along and have offered me guidance and support and mentors in but not in a formal will you be my mentor it's a formal process but actually that's what they are and I have drawn hugely on that and I also don't I think the beauty of the relationships that I've got and there's a few particular people I'm thinking of right now um, is that they don't necessarily have to be in the same region as you that's Mm. the beauty of feeling comfortable working across with women from all over they also don't have to be of the same age that age diversity is adds huge richness when you bring mm-hmm. up perspectives of women from different ages and also don't even have to be like specialist in the same area as you but just have a perspective or bring an alternate perspective mm. um, so yeah I think it's finding people that are willing to back you yeah sorry one other thing I think one of the biggest learnings too that's been is obviously I'm very conscious that I've come to New Zealand and only been here for nearly 10 years and that the culture is so strong in New Zealand. Te Māori and Te Reo and New Zealand has such a rich cultural heritage and it's not something that I identify with myself or as part of my history. I'm really conscious of in this space being being sensitive to that and that's meant knowing that I know so little about it or nothing about it at the start and needing to learn and needing to connect with and draw on people that have that knowledge and that can speak to that to make sure what we're doing is sensitive and appropriate and honoring of culture and of heritage and so I guess through everything we do we try and have a sensitivity to te ao Māori and that means that building into our team that skill set and that knowledge through a dedicated role that brings that cultural advice and culture and engagement to everything we do our cultural engagement manager our page who's based in the bay of plenty who is whose son is in my daughter's class at school (laughs) so it is a small world (laughs) yeah and I didn't realize that she worked for you until I was doing some deep diving on your website and I was like hey (laughs) familiar face but yes I think just to know when you're way out of your depth which is how I felt at the start and I 
still feel that there's so much that I don't know, but you've got to go to those that do and let them help you. Yeah. I did notice that when I first came across Shepherdess and and properly started looking at the magazine, not just as some pretty photography that I've walked past, but actually really looking at the magazine as part of your business. And it did strike me straight away because I knew that you were Australian before before this conversation that that it it really does come across this. It truly does feel like a magazine that is from New Zealand about our people with a particular focus on te ao Māori and our really rich cultural heritage. And obviously then knowing that our page is part of your team and that's her role. And I just thought that was so clever because it... I don't mean clever from a business strategy point of view, but from a community point of view and from a actually creating content that is true and authentic. And I guess which does ultimately come back down to that um, value that you talked about, that it, it is authentic to the community that it's serving. So, yeah, it's a great lesson because I think a lot of people would not necessarily, no, that's probably not fair, but it, it would be easy to overlook things like that when you're in business when you've just got a bigger you're a bigger and exciting goal to actually it would be easier to overlook and it's it's come from a place of wanting to do it right and do right by the culture by people and right by the women's stories that we're telling like we have a our magazine we consciously when we're planning stories we know that we want to have a diversity of stories that we share in there and so we consciously think about that at all stages of the process and then all checks but I know that there's other there's been a few situations lately that we've encountered where absolutely other spaces or organizations don't um, place that same value on that or um, invest in that but it's not it's just a it's a conscious decision we've made and and an investment that we make Mm. because we know that it's important and Mm. we want to do it right yeah that's wonderful what companies or brands do you admire from a business perspective I lately have thought about this a lot and I really admire, I admire the new so women doing really cool things. I think what Sophie Hurley's done with Honest Wolf and I just, I think the curve, I love what the girls are doing there. I just think so cool. There's so many clever, awesome Kiwi women and women in provincial New Zealand doing cool things. But what I've also been thinking about a lot is we've heard Kerry speak, Kerry from Tora Coastal Walk speak a couple of times now, but she came and chatted with us when we were staying there with a team weekend. And she's been doing that business for 30 years. Mm. And it is, as you then from doing the walk, it is so refined and wonderful and executed. And I just, I really admire someone that has been businesses that have been going for so long and people put their heart and soul into them and give day in day out to something and to be able to keep that longevity and quality and keep building it and keep growing it and I just think that is really it's easy to get caught up in new flashy things but actually like shit that's impressive your core goal yeah, and just delivering a product yeah. that's so good and but being able to keep it up for that length of time. And yeah, I just this is what we're four or five years in and but thirty years. So it's just yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's I really admire when I hear stories of women that have kept at something for a lengthy period like that. I think it's hats off to them. Yeah, that's a great business tip. What a 
I could not fault one bit of that experience that me and 13 of my friends had earlier mm. in the year. Every, you're right, every single touch point, every single part of the experience was just so well thought through. And yeah, and a good example of it might not be the the biggest, most corporate, most, obviously you can't expand on the Torah because it's in one place, <laughs> but what they've done and, and how they've grown that business over the 30 years is so impressive. And yep. yeah, that's a great example. Okay. Best business advice you've received and or business advice you'd like to pass on. <laughs> Listen to your gut, but probably the most uh, important one is surround yourself with good people. Yeah, I think if you've got good people around you, good people in your team, good people supporting you, then you'll go far. Yeah. it's great advice. What is the future for Shepherdess? Where are you heading? We've got to get this muster across the line. <laughs> We've got TV happening, but are there any sort of other plans or future plans that you'd like to share? We, yeah, TV is obviously a big thing for us us and happening at the moment and where that leads we'll see we did just recently launch a launch a social club I'm not sure if you've come across that yet but I have seen that yes yeah Yeah. so it's a bit of a foray two things one is into testing out like a digital revenue model I was always I've always been adamant and still am that the magazine is a physical form print product and you can't offer that online and it still be the same same thing it's about picking it up and experiencing it but yeah the social club is around a more regular drop into your inbox of of news and stories and also with some virtual gatherings as well we just actually had our second one last night which was a panel or a chat with with Jess from Jessica Flora a fashion brand based down in Kurau and also with Anna from Holly Bolly hearing how their businesses started and as women in fashion brands how they've got there and the challenges along the journey and things so social club for us is yeah is a new thing and something wanting to keep evolving as a sort of addition to sort of a magazine subscription and then as for other things I don't know I'm always a believer in you don't really know what's around the corner and you don't know what opportunities are going to necessarily come along sometimes people see opportunities before you have and things come along at strange timings and but I did say to my partner the other day I said don't worry there's nothing else I just want to embed down what because it's oh god it's just, I just not something else <laughs> not yeah. something else I just want to embed down though what we're doing I think with the magazine with the muster which we hope to be an annual event to rotate between North and South Islands each year and then what we've done with TV which as I said hopefully has a, a long life ahead of it then mm. yeah I think just bedding down on those things and social club with it yeah just and doing keeping refining and and doing that which is exactly thing. what we just talked about with Torah, isn't it? The business that you admire is taking that kind of model and going, okay, I've bought, built a really great foundation in a short amount of time. Now's the time to bed it down and yeah. keep it and make sure it's the best it can be. Yeah. And again, I think that's really great advice because you're right. Like we are always striving. We're always thinking of the next thing or what could we do more? But actually there's a lot of strength in like really growing that core piece or that core foundation of your business and refining and keeping it going so yeah Yeah, I think whatever we do has to stay true to the core audience which I think hopefully all those things that we're doing now all revolve around the core women that are living in rural New Zealand sort of audience and then yeah but yeah for, for now or for a period yeah just yeah getting keeping doing what we're doing and getting better at it. <laughs> Great. 
Mm. Okay, what is oh, what does success look like to you, personally, professionally, or both? Success to me is, from a professional point of view, it's having the biggest impact that we can, the widest impact that we can, and those, yeah, things that can reach far and wide and yeah in terms of community and rural community and personally I think it's obviously my kids that try value and keep me entertained no end um but I think just being able to get to a place where I think having freedom across the week and I think you do get this by being in a remote work environment but also having your like own business is to be able to have your calendar where it's actually no ag days on and I'm going to go to that actually we're going to get a weekend off the farm and be able to go and have that weekend or Mm. go and visit family in Australia or those kind of things yeah that's a simple thing too yeah. but it's just a bit tricky to sometimes get there but, it's just yeah. not where you are right now <laughs> yeah, necessarily yeah. but you will be one day yeah, yeah. great hey that's the end we finally got there three recordings and a myriad of technical difficulties but that's the end of all the bigger questions about shepherdess and about the business that you've created i feel like i'm just always going to have more i probably could just trail you for a couple of um weeks because i love the idea of your business i love what you're building and yeah and like I and I can't remember if I said this in the early part of the recording because it was a couple of weeks ago I picked up and read the magazine cover to cover for the first time properly I've read it before I've flicked through it before but I in anticipation of this catch-up I sat down and read it cover to cover and I was just blown away I loved I am someone that loves reading um I I do read the articles in magazines. I don't just look at the pictures, but I just read every article and I loved it. And I'm not necessarily even the particular target market, but I absolutely loved it. And I can so see how if I was a woman working in rural, living and working in rural New Zealand or provincial New Zealand, a bit more provincial than what I am, then it would have so much impact and resonate so much so I just think it's such a credit to you and your team this beautiful magazine that Mm. you've created and the other thing is again and I get again I can't remember if we talked about this I think we did a little bit about but the just the standard of that magazine and the photography Mm. and the writing and the all of it it just hits every point so yeah what you've created is amazing and I've loved talking to you about it Oh, thanks, Katie. <laughs> so the next bit, the final bit, the quick bit is my <laughs> quick fire fave. So this is just my nosy questions, my final little bit, just to hear what you're reading, watching, that kind of thing. So we'll go through it. Three items that you can't live without. Be my mugs <laughs> for my cups of tea. My artwork, uh, as in not mine, but other people's artwork. I have this most beautiful artwork above my desk, by the way, which you can't see there, but my computer. And probably a newspaper or magazine someone else's newspaper or magazine I love it which app and again you've already talked about this but which app for business and or life do we need I'd say slack is from a business point of view or day-to-day slack is what hundreds of messages go on yeah what happens with Slack? Do you find, what if you're not at your desk at the time? Do you miss stuff or on a more social channel? Do you miss stuff? Do you have to go back and go through it? Or how do you keep up with Slack messages? I think with these apps, you have to, you've got to also make it work for you. I think you can get ruled by the app kind of thing, but it's like about how you use it to to work 
or not overwhelm you because it yeah yeah so you can like I, I have slack on my phone and on my desktop and if I'm at my desk I'm using it on the computer and if I'm out of the office and we also we have a Christie urgent channel which we set up <laughs> right. when I was away when I've been away for work where I'm tied up and it's if I don't get to anything else but there's something really urgent you message me there so. that's so good and no one's allowed to message it yeah. unless it's yeah. something urgent that's clever I like that okay what have you watched lately that we must see oh um my treat on a weekend is to watch Australian Story which is a documentary it's probably not the right answer is it (laughs) there's no wrong answer (laughs) Um, but I watch Australian Story which is a sort of 30 minutes about an Australian and their life and what they're up to and they're not necessarily famous but they just had an interesting life and Mm -hmm. it's really fascinating yeah your little taste of home when we this is probably harder because you don't have that much around. But where, when you do dine out, where do you love to go? It's not exactly highbrow dining, but it's my favourite local spot. And that is, and I don't want too many people to know about it, actually. But no, it's called the Bus Stop Cafe at Tihori Beach. Have you been to Tihori Beach? No. Oh, come down and I'll <laughs> um, it's the most amazing it's a woman in her garden has got an old bus and oh, there's cool. a cafe in her beautiful garden with all these quirky tables and she makes beautiful food the menu changes every week she's only open three days a week a Friday Saturday Sunday and they're served on paper plates and they're the most beautiful gorgeous food all sorts of vegetarian vegan you name it and yeah and you go and sit in the garden and the kids can take their bikes uh, like ride down and what well, we have to drive there it's about 20 minutes away but yeah it's our special it's our weekend sort of spot that sounds dreamy I love that okay cool that's good to know (laughs) okay do you listen to music and if so what should I add to my Spotify playlist I do listen to music but it's probably terrible taste no I like Boy and Bear is an Australian band um, that I really like and seen them in concert a couple times Fanny Lumsden is another Australian artist country otherwise country music some Brooks and Dunn and things like that so yeah you're a good old-fashioned country (laughs) gal with your music I love it which podcasts apart from this one do you never miss Grazia do a life on the land podcast it's stories with women that are on stations or in rural areas and yeah there's some a lot of so many women in those situations have been through so much and willing to share and talk about that yeah there's lots yeah that sounds like a great one What's your go-to recipe that you love to cook for yourself or others? After we came back from the Torah weekend that we had as a team, Claire from Torah Collective over there, we were making we we're making dumplings. And for those of us that are gluten-free, we were making them with rice paper rolls and, and then the sort of pen frying them. And they were so good. So lately I've been making <laughs> lots of spring rolls or sort of rice paper roll little treats in the parcels. But I just love cooking anything with fish or seafood. That's, we have a a fisherman that lives not too far down the road from us that I go and buy I go and buy fresh fish and amazing yeah so all the perks of rural living isn't it like (laughs) getting the local restaurant on a bus and the fresh and the guy that catches fish down the road it's so great and finally apart from shepherdess do you read and what should we read next do I read I read the newspaper read magazines and that's probably about it unless it's like summer holidays and then I'll pick up a book but 
yeah so yeah I'm a real paper or or newspaper fan yeah do you find do you read do you subscribe to a lot of magazines yourself just to see what's out there and I do I subscribe to Cuisine New Zealand Geographic Gracie Her it's research as well yeah totally yeah yeah and then the newspaper as well I actually do get a digital subscription to paper yeah just I it's I like to it's nice to read what's going on and also by these days like paying for your paying for media or for well-written articles that's how you get access to those stories Mm. that have had resource put into them Mm. it's a funny mindset isn't it for people that whole paying for your content and I mean for those and for those of you in that world it's a slow it's a slow burn but I think Mm. people are really starting to realize that if you want that good content that you have to pay for it like you always did before with physical but mm-hmm. now even for online if you want to pay for that good content you need to yeah. uh, you want to read that good content you need to pay yeah. for it yeah absolutely or otherwise rnz always has obviously yeah. is good content as well yes. but yeah outside of that absolutely mm. yeah cool hey that's it we've made it we've done it I've got a lot of I've got a lot of content to go through and edit down now over three sessions but we got there in the end and like I said before I loved chatting I loved this whole talking about the whole shepherdess story so thank you so much for your time and your generosity of sharing all your insights oh thanks Katie thanks so much for suggesting to chat and yeah I hope that you there's some bits in there that good little gems or (laughs) there definitely will be there definitely will be and good luck for the muster in February thank you Thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear what you think about the podcast. And if you wanted to tell your friends about Super Creative, I would just be ever so grateful. If you'd like to keep listening, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you wanted to rate and review, that would be amazing. For more information, find us at Super Creative Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Bye.